You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, welcome to the Faith Roots Podcast. We're talking about trials and all the various ways that we deal with trials. And, and, and God can use a trial, but He isn't using evil to tempt you or to try to commit, get you to commit a sin. Let's go to the book of James chapter 1, verse 16. Look at this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God's gifts are good and perfect. You know, you've heard this, I have too. People will testify in church or tell the story, well, you know, uh, my cousin Bobby was a rebel against God till his dad got killed in that car wreck. And when his dad got killed in that car wreck, he, he turned to faith in God. He turned to God when that tragedy happened. You know, people turn to God every day without that kind of tragedy. And uh, it's good that, that Cousin Bobby turned, but that doesn't mean that God sent the car wreck. And a lot of times people do turn in the face of a great tragedy, but that doesn't mean that God sent the tragedy. The Bible says that God's gifts are good gifts, and they're perfect gifts. What is a good gift? A good gift is a good gift, and a perfect gift is a perfect gift. Listen, it says... Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So God doesn't use evil. Evil is not His way. Sometimes people do turn to God in in the face of evil, but that doesn't mean that God sent the evil. God had mercy on the most wicked king of Israel, the most wicked king they'd ever known. And this shows you something about his great love and character and how good his gifts are. Uh, this is the book of 1 Kings chapter 21, and God had warned Ahab that he was going to be destroyed, that his dynasty would end, that great suffering would come on his family because of the wickedness that he had brought to Israel. And so when this prophecy came to him, uh, something happened. Uh, listen to what happened. And it came to pass, 1 Kings 21-27, when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, the one who'd pronounced the word, and said, Do you see how Ahab humbles himself before me? Because he humbles himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days I'll bring the evil upon his house. And by the way, the Hebrew has a meaning in, in verbs. Very often it looks like that it's God that's causing this thing when the, the Hebrew expression means that he permits this thing. So that happened a lot in the Hebrew language. There are times it looks like God just outright did something that he didn't do. We know later that he didn't do it, but it almost looks like that he did do it and he gets the blame for it. 
And for that reason, people think that the God of the Old Testament was a vicious God, and he wasn't. And you see here that with Ahab, who was a very wicked king, that God could easily have brought down judgment on him right then and there. But he didn't. He showed great mercy because it is in God's character and nature to show mercy. Another story, we've heard about it since we were little kids. It's the story of Jonah and the whale. And Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to preach there. He did finally go. When he did preach, he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. You know what the people of Nineveh did? From the king down to the least person in the city, they all repented in sackcloth and ashes. Actually made Jonah mad because Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. But here are these wicked people and this king who was haughty. And when he hears this message from this prophet, it pricks his heart. And he and all the people of his city repent and the judgment is stayed. It is stopped. Uh, it did eventually come because another group of people came along and didn't have that same kind of repentance. But uh, this king stayed the judgment from his country because he repented. That's the character of God. God wants to save people. God isn't looking to destroy people. He wants very badly to redeem, to save, and to forgive. That is in his nature. So we see that he did it uh, with Nineveh. He did it with Ahab. i got to tell you a story, and I'll tell you why God does this. Because God sees the future. And he sees what people can be. I went back to my home church not long ago. And uh, this happened over two different trips. But I'm going to tell the story together. I'm going to consolidate it. Two different trips. I was there and my home church bought one of the big denominational churches in town. And it had become their building. It was amazing. And so I was sitting in the uh, church office before preaching. And one of the elders of the church who'd been there the whole time told me the story of how they came by this building. And he told me that this building had been purchased by a very generous offering that had come through a man in the community. Now, when he told me who it was, I was absolutely shocked. I got in a fight with this guy when I was a senior in high school. And I, I wouldn't have given you a plug nickel for this guy's future as one who would operate in the kingdom of God. But this guy gave his heart to Christ and had a big impact in that city. And uh, he was a rancher. He had oil and gas royalties. And when he began to prosper, he brought his tithe down to that church, gave it to that church. And here's a guy that I would have given up on, said no hope for, and God used him and single-handedly, he had a big impact on this church and helped them get this building. Now, I went down another time to preach, and there was a youth center on the town square. It was the hardware store when I lived in that town, and it now belongs to the church. And I found out how it came into the possession of the church. And they told me that this particular young man had given his heart to Christ, had begun to walk with God. And when I heard who it was, I thought he's no different than the other guy. This guy was somewhat of a troublemaker. I would have considered him a little bit of a thug. And I would have given up on him. I would have said, no hope. He, this, this guy's just not good. He's just kind of rotten. But he gave his heart to Christ. He prospered and started going to this church and felt led to help them, bought this building and gave it, donated it to the church. Amazing story, isn't it? And so God did some great things there through people that I probably would have given up on. God is always good to His children. Now that doesn't mean 
that God gives you every whim, every passing lustful desire that comes across your mind. You know, there are differences in the levels of desire, and you need to know that. There are some things that we desire that are not necessarily good for us, but there are some things that are truly desires of the heart. Listen to what Psalm 37, 4 says. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, I believe that Scripture has a double meaning. I believe that God places heartfelt desires in us when we delight in Him, that the desire itself is something that comes from God. But I also believe that as we desire that thing, that God brings that thing into reality in our lives. So some desires originate with God. Some desires are just us. And by the way, we think that a desire of the heart always has to be uh, something to do with ministry. You know, it could be a desire for a, a beautiful wife and a good family. It could be a desire for a home. It could be a desire to build a business that you've always wanted to do so you could bless people, have great employees, serve your community. Uh, there are all kinds of desires that God gives people that are not necessarily what we would call quote-unquote spiritual desires. They are spiritual because they do good things. But see, sometimes natural things can do great spiritual good. And so that's what this is talking about. All right. It may come in a different way than you expect. You know, God put it in my heart to publish a curriculum for kids. I had a Sunday school curriculum that I was writing for my home church. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, make it available to the body of Christ. I met with a publisher. I got an estimate. It's going to cost $50,000. Well, let me tell you what my idea was. My idea was that some one rich man is going to give me $50,000 and I'm going to pay for that curriculum. Didn't happen. That was not the way I wanted it. I wanted one check. It's simple. It's easy. It happens quickly. It never came. Never did come. So as I continued to get my curriculum ready, I had to make a little money along the way. So I took something that I had of value. I had great knowledge of how to train children. I was actually teaching a Bible college course on how to teach kids in a church. And I took my six best messages, recorded them on cassette tape, and put them in an album and began to sell them. I sold enough of those to pay for the first installment of the curriculum production. It wasn't published yet, but I got things typeset. I got color separations done. I was able to pay a number of the bills with the sales of those tapes. And then finally, we got to the point where we're ready to print, and I don't have the money. But I saw something. I thought, I have all these customers who bought my tapes who want to know how to teach kids. I'll bet they would want my curriculum too. And so what I did is I timed it so that we could get the curriculum printed, and my publisher arranged for us to pay for the curriculum over a 90-day period. And I timed it so that we advertised sold the curriculum, and the first orders came when the stuff was coming off the press. So we actually had product when we got people's checks, but I timed it all where it would all coincide. And sure enough, that's what happened. At the end of the whole process, we had the $50,000. It took a little longer than I wanted, but I still got it. I, I didn't want it like that. I wanted it in one check. You know what God wanted? God wanted me to have a customer base. 
because the curriculum was only a one-year program. And I had three years in my curriculum a scheme. I had to put three years of it together to cover the whole Bible. And so now I had customers to go right back to for volume two and for volume three. And so God gave me a plan that was better than my own idea. That's what God does. That's the goodness of God's perfect gifts. His perfect gifts may not be our idea of perfection when it first comes. It doesn't mean that it's evil. It just means that it comes in a slightly different way. All right. Now here's how God corrects. Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord. Blessed is the man that you teach out of your law. You see, God's preference is to correct people and to correct His children with His Word. Now, He may permit circumstances to come to push people back in the right direction. When they are chastening circumstances, they bring no permanent harm. There's a difference between chastening and correction and destruction. Destruction does long-term hurt, long-term harm. Very often it's irreparable. And so someone losing a child or whatever, that's destruction. That's, that's not correction. You may bring that on yourself because of decisions that you make, but that doesn't mean it was God's choice. Many of these things happen because we leave the safety and the preservation of His hedge, and we bring it about. So there is chastening, which someone who corrects their children isn't meaning to harm their children. There's a little pain suffered by the child, but it's only temporary. And so chastening is different than destruction. If you do not have regard for chastening, you will eventually run out into this wicked world where there's destruction, and the world doesn't care anything about you. Now, now this is the highest place that God wants to take us to, and it's the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't hear this taught a lot in the church, uh, but let me read it to you. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show or demonstrate the Lord's death till He come. That's 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now listen to this, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eats and drinks condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Verse 31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Wow. It means that God's preference for us is self-correction. You know, that's the highest level that you can live on. I have four adult children. I don't correct them like I did when they were little. I do not talk to them the way that I did when they were little. I might have raised my voice at them when they were young, and I do not today. I'm very careful how I talk to them. If I feel like I need to give them some advice, I try to do it to preserve their dignity. And the, I talk to them as adults. You know, a lot of parents ruin their relationships with their children because they don't adjust their communication with their children as their children grow older. You talk to them like they did or you did when they were teenagers. That's not going to work. 
So God has great regard for us. And he put his Holy Spirit in us so that we could self-correct. And so when trials come, we ought to examine ourselves. Is there something I might have done to open a door to this? Could I have made this a little easier on myself? And, 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 but you don't beat yourself over the head. And you don't linger in this self-doubt and self-blame and so forth. Uh, because there may be something you can learn from the trial. If something doesn't come to mind, then move on and don't spend any time on it. But examine yourself, examine your motives, and keep yourself in a place where you walk humbly for poor God. And it's amazing how many trials you may avoid by just doing that. That's all the time I have for today. We'll pick up here again tomorrow. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.